How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us today. <laughs> What's so funny? It just made me laugh. All right, so we're going to talk about the Christmas story. Take me to the beginning of the Christmas story. The angel appeared to Marianne and said, You are the most needed, and God dearly, dearly, uh, I don't know how to say, loves you, and um, he, and you're going to have a baby. How am I I'm supposed to know? Because I'm not even married yet. Joseph, he had a white beard, white hair. He was wearing gray clothes. So he looked like Gandalf. And what did Mary look like? She had like a dress on, but it was white, and like a little cape over her, her head. And then Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem on the donkey. Uh, how long do you think it took? Maybe about five days. That sounds about right. Then the donkey went to Bethlehem. They wanted to find a pl an inn. There's a place called Inns. All the inns were all too full. They were just like kind of disappointed. One man said, you can go to my stable where all my animals are. And they went on to the barn that they told them about. There was a cat in the barn. There was some nice sheep. Elephants, donkeys, cows, chickens. Like a doctor, so, so Mary can get a baby out. Mm -hmm. The baby was born, and all the animals gave was joy. And and then the cat made them a bed. They um, used a manager where animals eat out of. They put um, baby Jesus into this manager. No, 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 it was a manger. Some shepherds in the field. I think they were babysitting sheep. One angel up here said that your state savior has been born in a stable in Bethlehem. And all suddenly, um, a whole army of angels um, appeared to them singing, respect God in all this way, your ways, I think. And then, um, and they say, give praise. There's a baby. There was three kings. They followed a star. I think it was God. Then they saw a stable. They went in it. They said, we should probably give them presents. And what gifts did they give them? Maybe milk, Christmas tree, a turkey, and a snowman. They gave big, they gave big joy. I had a great day, and that's the end of the story. And that is the greatest story ever told. How do you think you did? Nailed it. <laughs> Isn't that good? <laughs> I think that's exactly how the Bible tells that story. Yeah. Uh, that's probably the most accurate picture we've seen so far. Merry Christmas. My name is Sean Sears. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm really glad that you guys are here to join us uh, for our Christmas Eve services. Um, I'm very, very happy that you decided to be, to be here with us today, so thank you very much for coming. Uh, I hope that you have already finished your Christmas uh, shopping, uh, because if you're not done by now, you're screwed. So 
just so I tell you, because Amazon ain't going to hook you up now. It's too late for even Amazon Prime to help, to help you out. Uh, we are, we are going to be talking about the Christmas story. I don't think anybody's surprised about that, right? Uh, so if you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 2. If you want to pull out your, your Bible, your phone app, uh, uh, the, the Bible app on your phone, go ahead and open that and go to Luke chapter 2. Now, the story of the birth of Jesus is actually uh, only in two different places in the Christian New Testament. It's in the book of Matthew, which gives us the story that the manger scene, and then the wise men are, are in that story, and then, and, then, and then in Luke. And Luke doesn't give us, uh, by the way, Matthew doesn't give us uh, the part of the story that we're looking at today in the Christmas scene. And Luke's narrative of the birth of Jesus leaves out the wise men part also. There's there's actually a scene that happens in the birth of Jesus in between the birth in the manger and when the wise men show up. So when you're reading the birth of Jesus in the book of Matthew, you find out that Jesus is born uh, in a stable and he's laid uh, in swaddling clothes and strips of cloth and in a feeding trough, right? Uh, and they're in, they're in most likely a cave with, with uh, uh, at least an elephant, according to the biblical narrative we just saw, right? Uh, there's not, we don't know what, what animals are in there, but it probably did smell really bad uh, because that's where animals would have uh, been, been living, and so it would have, would have smelled like that. Um, and, then, and then just a verse later, uh, or actually it's chapter 2 of Matthew, when the wise men show up, they show up and it says they find Mary and the baby in a house. So I don't mean to ruin everybody's manger scenes, but the wise men actually don't show up on the night that Jesus was born, they show up uh, at least eight days later. So in the, the, the story of the birth of Jesus, it's a story that stretches at least a week and a half uh, between the birth of Jesus and the showing up of the wise men. And it's what happens in between the, the, the manger scene and the wise men. Uh, there's a story about a man named Simeon, uh, kind of like sandwiched in the middle of the Christmas story. And that dude, I don't know why, but it gets left. Like, you don't have a Simeon in any of your mangers, your manger scenes. The, the, like the nativity, it includes Jesus and it includes uh, uh, the Mary and Joseph. And, and it's got probably animals that go with it also. And you probably have the three wise men. We don't even know that there's three and you probably already knew that. Uh, but we know that there were wise men, plural. They brought three gifts. So since there were three different gifts, I mean, it could have been anywhere between two and, I mean, who knows how many, but because there were three gifts, we always put three wise men in the story, but the dude right smack in the middle isn't included in anybody's manger scene, and I think that's really unfortunate, and it's his story we're looking at this Christmas, so he is in Luke chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and, and turn there, and in Luke chapter 2, it starts off in verse 25, uh, that at that, like, 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 like verses, we, we've done a series this entire month on on the Christmas on the Christmas story, going over the different uh, songs that we sing at Christmas, and then looking at the different passages in the Bible that those songs 
are, are based on. And that led us all the way up to last week where Jesus is, is brought to the temple by his mom and dad on the eighth day, on his eighth day, where he's officially given the name Jesus and he's circumcised and brought underneath the Jewish covenant, the Mosaic law uh, and the covenant that God had made with, with Abraham. And, and then we left out the second part of that story, that, that eighth day where Jesus is brought to the temple and we saved that for today. So after Jesus is, is brought to the temple, he's officially given the name Jesus, and he's circumcised and marked as somebody who's under the, the original covenant between God and man through Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob. Before they leave the temple area, Mary and Joseph bump into two other people. One is Simeon, and the other is Anna. We're not looking at Anna this year. I think we looked at her last year. We're looking at Simeon this year. So it's in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. They're in the temple. Jesus had just officially gotten his name. And it says, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And so um, that's, that's, that's the man we're talking about today. And the Bible isn't the only place that mentions this Simeon, a devoutly religious Jewish man in the temple. Uh, his dad is actually very famous. And if you do a Google search of Simeon ben Hillel, that's him. It's this guy, Simeon ben Hillel. Now, Hillel is one of the most famous rabbinical leaders of all of Jewish history. In fact, the, the, the Jewish study groups and all the different colleges in the world, they're like, there's like, you've heard of Youth for Christ or Campus Crusade, possibly. The Jewish version of that are called Hillel Clubs. And Hillel is actually named after this guy's dad. So his dad is the one who started uh, the Mishnah, uh, which is the collection of Jewish traditions. And he, his, her, Simeon's dad also was the one who started writing the Talmud, which is, which is like a, 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 a collection of sayings uh, about God and like a commentary on the Jewish scriptures that's still in practice in all of the synagogues and temples that our friends who are Jewish still read from today that was started by a man named Hillel he's one of the most famous Jewish scholars of all time and he was referred to as the very first Rabban now a Rabban is somebody who's responsible for what gets recorded as the official narrative of the Jewish faith and Hillel was the very first Rabban in all of history and when he dies, his son, Simeon, becomes only the second Rabban in all of history. Simeon. He's the second one. And he's in charge of the Sanhedrin. And all of this stuff you can read about on, <laughs> in Wikipedia. That's how you know it's true. Right? So you can, you, there's all kinds of writings about this in, in Jewish history books about, about these guys. And, and honestly, they're, next to, they're the next two sons after, after Simeon. Simeon has a, a very famous son, and, and then he becomes the Rabban. And we're going to get to that a little bit later when, when, we, when we start to wrap up the story. But Simeon now is responsible for the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin is the ruling group. They're, they're, every city has to have 21 judges. And they're, I forget the word for it, but it's like a shorter version of the word Sanhedrin, and they're, they're like the city elders. 
And anytime anybody had any dispute, you would take it to that, your city elders, a group of 21 guys, uh, excuse me, 23 guys, not 21, 23 guys. Um, and then they would decide. And whatever those 23 judges decided, it, it was finished. So if you had a dispute over a boundary of property with your neighbor, when you brought it to those 23 guys, what they decided was law. And over each one of those cities groups of 23 judges was the final ruling group of judges that had 71. 71 uh, rabbinical leaders made up the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. The leader of all 70, think of this like the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court in Jesus' day was referred to as the Sanhedrin. And they had a chief justice of the Supreme Court. The one guy who was responsible for all other 70 guys. He's the one who breaks the tie. He's the one who says, this is what we do next. He's, think of him like the chairman of the board of the Supreme Court. That's Simeon. Now, Simeon had a minority opinion about the, about the Messiah. Simeon, like all Jewish little boys and girls, were taught to be waiting on the Messiah, who would be in the lineage of David. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says that when the Messiah shows up, he would be born in Bethlehem. And we know from the story that we just heard that that's where Jesus was born. It's in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It's in Matthew chapter 1, and it's in Luke chapter 1. So we know where Jesus was born. There's 300, over 300 other verses in the Hebrew Bible about the Messiah, the rescuer of mankind. One of the verses says that when he shows up, he would be a baby, a son would be given to us. His name would be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. So the Jewish Bible says that when the rescuer of mankind shows up, he would be God himself as a baby. So Simeon, like all other Jewish boys and girls, would have been raised to be expecting that the Messiah would show up someday. And all of them had different hopes for the Messiah. But the general consensus is that when the Messiah showed up, he would bring financial prosperity to the Jews and throw off the Roman oppression. In the same way that David had thrown off the Philistine oppression and had brought Israel into a new time of prosperity. So if he's in the lineage of David, and if the scriptures say that when the Messiah shows up, he will, God will establish the throne of David through the Messiah for all of eternity, people had transposed some of the expectations onto the Messiah that they had seen in the life of Jesus. Except that Simeon had read chapters in the Jewish Bible like Isaiah chapter 53, which says that he would go through all of the things he went through to take away our iniquity, our sin, to reconcile us back to God. So Simeon, Simeon's minority opinion is that when the Messiah shows up, he wouldn't show up to throw off the oppression of the Romans as much as he was going to show up to throw off the oppression of sin in our hearts, not Romans in the land. And so this was a, like, he was, he was not a very popular guy because of this. He's the one who's waiting. He's the one who knows that when Messiah shows up, it's not to kick Roman tail, it's to kick ours. It's to take away the thing that threatens us most in the world. And it's not the people outside of us, it's the sin that is inside of us. Because those who are outside of me don't threaten my eternal relationship with God and my standing before him. But the sin that is in me does. 
And it was because of this understanding of what the Messiah was actually here for that God had revealed to him that you will not die until you see the Messiah. We find out in the next verse that we're going to read right now that, that God had told him, I want you to go to the temple today. So it's, it's a big day. So go back to your Bible uh, to, verse, to verse 26. Uh, so the Holy Spirit was on him, we found out at the end of verse 25, and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's, the Lord's Messiah. We don't know how God revealed this to him. Uh, we don't know if, if, if like God spoke to him, if, if, it was, if it was a vision or a dream or just an impression on his heart. I know that when God speaks to me, it's never an audible voice. And sometimes I'm not even 100% sure it was God. I just get like a, like a feeling that I, I need to apologize to somebody or I need to offer forgiveness or I need to seek reconciliation or I need to be crazy generous in such a way that it's going to scare me or something like that. Like, like usually I know that it's God because it doesn't benefit me at all or get me any recognition. That's usually how I know. And it's, and it's consistent with something in the Bible. So I don't know how he knew this, but the Bible says he knew that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. Back at it. Verse 27. So that day, the Holy Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was already there. He took the child in his arms and he praised God saying, which I've always thought that was really weird. Like if I'm walking around the maternity ward at South Shore Hospital, which is where my youngest was born, and somebody else just took my baby out of my arms, homeboy would get jacked in the jaw. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? You take my baby. You just don't walk up and take a baby. Especially if it's the first one. Mary's a brand new. She wouldn't have even dropped her baby off in a nursery. That's just how first time mamas are. Right? They're very nervous about this. He walks over and just grabs the baby. But if she knew who he was, then it makes sense because he's the Rabban. He's Simeon ben Hillel. All the Jews in Israel knew who Simeon ben Hillel was. Holy cow. He was the most revered and respected Jew alive on the planet. Nobody had more authority and power than Simeon ben Hillel. So if you're in the temple and Simeon ben Hillel walks over and grabs your baby, you let go. <laughs> he grabs the baby, which would, honestly, that would have been an honor. You've seen pictures of people thrust, 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 that was a weird word, thrusting, I was going to say throwing and thrusting, and that was going to be thrusting, I don't know what that was. But you've seen pictures or videos of mamas taking babies when whatever president, pick your favorite one, and we're not going to fight about that today. But as the president walks by, they take the baby and they just stick it out there. Because they want what? The president to do what? To take their baby. Because they got their cell phones out. Right? They're holding on to the baby like a cat to this, like by the neck, right? Just by the extra skin on the neck on the neck so that they can like record the whole thing, put it on, on Facebook Live or whatever, right? But they, but they want a picture of that famous person holding. That's the moment. Joseph and Mary are walking out of the temple and oh my word, Simeon ben Hillel is here. And he walks over to them and they had to be nervous and he reaches out for their baby. What a huge honor. And they give their baby to him. And I, then, then Mary pulls out her phone. Just kidding. That's not in the Bible. But if it was now, she would have. And then he says, verse 29, 
Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. Can you imagine? Like for this Jewish young couple. Because they're not married. And she just had a baby. They have a baby out of wedlock. Which would have made things very difficult for her as a conservative Jew living in Nazareth. Right? And then to have Simeon ben Hillel grab your baby and not speak a word of discipline or correction or, or, or you, you see what I'm saying? But like for, to grab your baby and lift this baby and dear sovereign God, right? Goosebumps run up and down Mary and Joseph's arms as he's praying over their baby, right? Now, all of the Jews, the general consensus of all of the Jews is that when the Messiah gets here, he will throw off Roman oppression just like David had thrown off Philistine oppression. That he would usher in political, military, and financial renewal. That was everybody's expectation. That's what all of the Sanhedrin taught. That's what they taught the other judges who taught the other judges who taught the priests and all the local synagogues and temples. Everybody was teaching the same thing. Then Simeon says something different. Here's what Simeon prays. He says, uh, now, verse 29, let your servant die in peace as you have promised because I have seen your salvation, your rescue. I have seen your rescue, which is what all of the Jews wanted to hear. I have seen your rescue. Yes, this is the baby that will rescue us from those who have oppressed us. That's what, they're, that's, that's what, that's what they think he's praying. I have now seen God your rescuer, your Messiah, the one who will save us. Salvation for the Jews against the Romans, right? But that's not what he says. Salvation for who? Look at the next part of his verse. Because this is when his prayer goes off the rails. Which you have prepared for the Jews, right? For the Jews. Which you have prepared for the Jews against the, against the Romans. Just like David against the Philistines. The Messiah against the Romans. And he said, this salvation is for, who is this for? For all people. For Roman people. Not just Jewish people. And not just regular average Gentiles, just anybody not Jewish. But that would have also included... Roman people is who the Messiah had been sent for. Now this echoes actually what God had said to Abraham originally when God had started the first covenant relationship with mankind through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Is that through you, how many of the nations of the world would be blessed? Do you know? All of the nations of the world would be blessed. It's Genesis chapter 28 verse 13. Is that through you and your one descendant, all the nations of the world would be blessed. That while David was sent to rescue the Jews from Philistines, the Messiah would be sent to rescue mankind from themselves. From the sin that was not around them, but the sin that was in them, which was a very unpopular teaching because it didn't get me what I want right now, which is for the Romans to get the heck off my property. 
Keep going. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light. That's not what they wanted in a Messiah. What I want in a Messiah is a stinking warrior. What I want in a Messiah is a new king. What I want is a new governor. What I want is a political, military, economic, stud freaking nature. And he says, but he didn't come to be that. He came to be a light. Where do you need light? In what kind of places? Dark places. Where are the dark places that God came to send light for? The dark places that were in who? Us. He is a light, it says, to reveal God to the nations. And in that way, he will be the glory of your people, Israel. God wasn't sending Jesus to relieve the oppression of Rome and their land, but the oppression of sin that was in their heart. And they continued to expect Jesus to be that. That's why on Palm Sunday, which we'll celebrate four months from now, as Jesus rides into Jerusalem at the top of his popularity rating, they throw down palm branches and take off their jacket and throw it in the street, and they crown him king over the Jews because now they expect... He's going to finally gather everybody together and like King David, kick Philistine tail, except now it was going to be the Romans. But then they heard him speak all week long and not one time did he say, go get your swords, go get your plow hooks. He didn't say that not one time. All he said that whole next week was, turn from the sin that is in your own heart. Because if you live the rest of this life disconnected from God and you die, you will enter eternity the exact same way, disconnected from God. Your greatest problem is not your debt. It's not your marriage. It's not your relationship with your, your parents. Our greatest problem is the sin, the pride, the arrogance, the hate, the bitterness, the unforgiveness that's in our heart. See, we don't want that, and neither did they. They. That's why just five days later, they were chanting to the Roman governor, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The truth is, I honestly believe, just like in his day, Simeon was a minority, I believe that today, Simeon would also be in the minority. Even in church, I want a Messiah. I want a God who's going to take away my debt. That's what I want. I don't want a God who's going to force me to get rid of my pride. I want a God who will fix my spouse or my parents. I don't want a God who's wanting to fix my heart. I want God to take away the people that I hate. I don't want a God who's more interested in taking away the sin in my heart that he hates. Truthfully, I don't know how many of us even now want what baby Jesus came to give us. Rescue, not from others, but from the sin that is in our own heart. And because Simeon ben Hillel was completely changed on this day, we know from history, not from the Bible, that he lost his job as Rabban. 
And his son replaced him. His son replaced him. It's assumed he died young, but there's no evidence for that. The evidence is that he began to preach that the Messiah had already come to free us from sin in our heart, not the Romans in our land, and he was fired from his job. His son takes his place. His son now has to get this back on track and fix the family reputation because the dad had just made all of us look at like, like, like fools. And guess what the son's name was? Gamaliel ben Simeon, son of Simeon. Gamaliel is this radical who now is working really hard to make sure everybody puts the clamps down on this idea that the Messiah was coming to rescue us from the sin that was in our heart. Gamaliel has a star pupil, a star pupil. And this star pupil gets more radicalized than even Gamaliel. Do you know what his name was? Saul. Saul then takes on the offense of his master Gamaliel because of the shame of his father Simeon and goes around murdering everybody who said that this baby grew up, died for our sins, and rose from the dead. In fact, Saul was the first one to ever kill anybody because they were a follower of Jesus until Jesus himself calls him to turn from his sins. Gamaliel shows up again in Acts chapter 5. Now it's after the resurrection of Jesus, and he doesn't know what to do with this. And the Sanhedrin arrests the apostles for teaching that this baby had resurrected from the dead to give us new life because of the deadness in our souls caused by our sin. And Gamaliel says in Acts chapter 5, don't be too hasty. Do you remember 40 years ago when so-and-so came up and said he was the Messiah and he gathered about 200 followers and then he died and then they scattered? And do you remember this other guy? This other guy's name was Judas who, who rose up, said that he was something great and had some followers and then he died and then their followers scattered? He said, let's see what happens. Because if he's not from God, this thing will fall apart. But if it is, then we will find ourselves fighting against God himself. And it was towards the end of his life that Gamaliel started to believe what his father Simeon had believed all the way back in Luke chapter 2, that this baby had shown up not to rescue us from debt, to fix our marriages or make our kids obey, but to turn us away from the sin that is in our own hearts that threatens to keep us separated from God for all of eternity. So here's where we're at today. I want you to consider whether or not you prefer the eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus of Ricky Bobby, or whether or not you will accept that this baby who showed up came to earn immunity from God for the sin that the rest of us have committed to offer us that immunity, but in exchange had to take the punishment for our guilt on himself. That he was born not to throw off oppression, but to die for it. That he was buried and that he rose from the dead three days later. Not so that we could someday sit around a green tree and give each other presents, 
but that so we could bow our knee before the cross and ask God for forgiveness for the sins that we've committed against him and against our fellow man. And by faith, accept that what Jesus did was enough to cover me too. And while I would never ask God to die on the cross for my sins, since he volunteered, I'd be a moron to ignore it. So dear God, forgive me for the things that I've done wrong and save me from my own sin. Give me new life like you rose from the dead with new life too. I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray. If you would, please bow your head. God, I'm thankful that you love us in spite of the dumb things we've done. And while most of us might get this whole thing wrong, just like they did in your own day, you now, just like you did then, give us another chance and another chance and another chance to get it right. God, I pray that we would see you the way Simeon did. And while it cost him everything to call you by who you actually were, God, help us to be willing to pay the same price to lay our lives down for you like Simeon did for you because he knew you would lay down your life for him just like I know you laid down your life for me. If you're willing to turn from sin, ask God to forgive you, this is your opportunity. God, thank you for showing up in human history and doing for me what I'm incapable of doing on my own and that's getting it right the first time without sin. Maybe your prayer is, God, I know for a fact that on judgment day when you say innocent or guilty of breaking my laws, or being selfish towards your fellow man, I know what I'll say, and it's that I'm guilty. And God, while I would never ask you to die for me, since you volunteered, I'd be crazy to ignore it. God, take away my sin too. Help me to follow after you with the rest of my life, dear God, please. Give me a new heart also and a clean slate. This is the prayer that we make in the name of Jesus, and we all say together, Amen.